0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nelly. Our guest this week is John Weber, president of the National Pork Producers Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with John Weber Next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. With crop prices falling, farm income plummeting, and Mother Nature wrecking havoc, the private sector crop insurance infrastructure is more important today than ever. Providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. U.S. pork producers have endured high feed costs, producer and packer concentration, trade barriers, animal disease, and government regulation. National Pork Producers Council President John Weber says producers are very concerned about what's happening now and what's ahead for pork prices.
1: Profitability has been there. The margins are getting very, very tight. One of the salvations, of course, for most pork producers is the lower feed costs. It seems like every day hug futures go down. We see a little lower corn and meal prices as well. I know there's a lot of concern out there. Production has been excellent. Uh, We're looking at a lot of tonnage coming on the market. But in general, producers are cautiously optimistic about what lies ahead for them.
0: There was some discussion earlier this year that in the latter stages of 2016, we might find a situation where production was greater than slaughter capacity.
1: And I think for the next 60 days, that's going to be a real concern. We have not hit that wall yet. We're probably... I would guess that we're probably uh, three to four weeks from really running into that type of any type of situation that would max us out on capacity. There could be a period in late October to early November where we do that could be, you know, again, it translates into lower prices. But I've also noticed some, you know, some producers that are Trying to market pigs earlier, we'll work our way through this. Uh, it looks much better as we hit into the first quarter of 2017.
0: What is then the state of the industry if we take the, a look at the producer and the packer and and all of the all the components of the pork industry? Given that this is ahead, what's the condition and what's the outlook?
1: Well, I think the outlook is very optimistic. Um, we've got some new. Processing plants coming online. I think producers, are productivity has been good. Most diseases have been either in check or doing very well. And so production has been good. Uh, There's optimism with the increased packing plants coming online. Lower feed costs, obviously, walking grain off of the farm uh, are all things that producers are looking at. But what it boils down to, the, the, the difficult thing is, you know, we're also seeing this in the beef sector and in the poultry sector. We've got a lot of protein coming on the market. So I know there's plenty of concern out there with what protein prices will be as we head into 2017.
0: Might be a good time to be a consumer.
1: Yes, it will. I mean, there's no question about it that consumer prices uh, you know, should decline and continue to decline and have a real value for uh, you know, American consumers and globally for that matter.
0: John, I would ask a question. The pork industry has endured some tremendous consolidation, not only of producers, but also in the packing industry. The news of over the past week were of major consolidations taking place primarily in the crop side of the business. And in fact, early this week, a hearing is coming up in the Senate Judiciary Committee to talk about these consolidations. How have you endured in the pork industry, the consolidations, and do you think it's over?
1: You know, from an impact in the pork industry, I I think it's been a long-standing trend. I mean, to me, it started out in, in smaller levels with farms getting larger and more specialized uh, and then expanding, you know, expanding, buying up other segments, whether it's on the south side. Consolidation is kind of the nature of agriculture, but... Today, uh, it's, it's global. It's global consolidation today. And not only internal, we're seeing producers that are interested in getting involved in the packing and processing business and branding products, taking them all the way to the retail level, very common. And we're also seeing global interest in some of our companies. The first example I can think of you know, is the shang Wei Company with Smithfield Foods, um, JBS now purchasing Cargill, a Brazilian company. So there's plenty of examples out there in the pork industry of this continued consolidation. Uh, several of our new packing plants coming online are producer-owned facilities where they're going to be involved now in another segment of the pork industry, not only in the production side but now into the processing side, and with, you know rightfully so with the uh, opportunity to capture more value of that animal. So I don't know that it's a serious concern, all of these mergers, And acquisitions are reviewed by the Justice Department. And I really feel there's a lot of efficiencies and synergies gained in most of these mergers. And I would say it has not had a negative impact on our industry.
0: When I think out loud about agriculture and I've listened to your comments about production, obviously the U.S. producer is tremendous in his ability to provide food and fiber for the world. Uh, there is plenty of comment about how active the u.s. may be in global trade the two leading candidates for the white house speaking against The Trans-Pacific Partnership, the Speaker of the House suggesting that he doesn't see enough votes for a TPP deal, doesn't see that happening. The Senate Majority Leader doesn't see a vote on the Trans-Pacific Partnership for simply a lack of support. But then this past week, Senator Orrin Hatch suggested that there was an opportunity to get a vote and that we could advance a strong TPP if the administration addressed some concerns. My question for you is how important is a Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal to the U.S. pork industry?
1: It is the future of the U.S. pork industry. Uh, It is absolutely critical to us. We are currently exporting 24% of the product we produce goes offshore. And any future growth in our industry or expansion of our industry, we must have better access to these markets. And TPP is just critically important. Uh, The details were announced last October. It was a win for U.S. pork producers. We will gain significant market access into these countries, not immediately, but over a period of years we will have tariffs going to zero and free access to over 400 million new consumers, representing over 40% of the global gross domestic product. Their economies are growing In production agriculture, we need to have access to those markets.
0: What do you see the administration needs to do to bring this about?
1: (laughs) I think, and here's what we discussed this past week, that once this election is over and Congress comes back into session, um, we think that the U.S. economy is going to rise to the top. And when you look at the U.S. economy, I do not think they can walk away from what TPP will do for the U.S. economy in the next five to ten years. Um, That's what we're optimistic about. We we know that. There's geopolitical concerns with TPP, too, that we do need to be involved with these countries in the Pacific Rim to keep China in check. Uh, China is going to negotiate deals on their own if we're not participating. It's a great opportunity for the United States uh, to be involved in TPP.
0: I know that Japan seems to be a crown jewel for the beef industry. Is there any one of these countries, or is it the whole group that is a gem for pork?
1: Right. What makes, what makes TPP the important thing is all 11 of those countries. Um, again, they're pork-consuming people. Economies growing. You can go right up and down the coast around the Pacific Rim with these countries that are in TPP. And these are markets that agriculture really needs to be a part of.
0: Is this a deal that has you giving up more than you get?
1: Definitely not for pork producers. Not all segments of the economy win in trade deals. But for U.S. agriculture, when 96% of global population lives outside of your country and you have one of the most productive agricultural machines on the globe, you just can't ignore that. You have to be part of those markets and have access to those markets. So for pork producers, for almost all of U.S. agriculture, TPP would be very beneficial. Let's talk about
0: downside. What happens if this Congress doesn't make a decision and the next Congress defers, the new administration says no? What's the downside of no TPP for U.S. pork?
1: Yeah, the downside is that other countries are going to move forward without the United States. And conduct trade deals. Uh, it allows our competitors to the north and to the south, both Canada and Mexico, uh, an opportunity to trade with other countries while we sit back and lose market share. I think it's critical that we get involved with TPP and get involved in TPP as soon as we can. Postponing action just simply opens that door for either bilateral or other countries taking the place of dpp and we do not want to see that
0: and in the converse if you get it how does it change the pork industry in the u.s how does it change rural america
1: number one i think it's a huge psychological boost to our industry the impact is not going to be felt immediately some countries it will be sooner than others I always like to look back at the 20 previous free trade agreements and look what our pork sales have done and after every one of them we've had a significant growth in US pork exports and that's what we'll see with TPP uh, I think better than anything we've seen before and so the impact starts out psychological growth will take time and market access will take time it is the next generation of Trade for U.S. pork producers.
0: Well, the Trans-Pacific Partnership countries represent 40% of the globe's gross domestic product, and Cuba doesn't. But Cuba is our closest neighbor aside from obviously Canada and Mexico. When we look to trade with Cuba, some attention given last week in the House Agriculture Committee is the Cuban market important to pork?
1: It, it certainly is. We are very supportive of anything that can be initiated or started. There are some other trade issues with Cuba, but we will be there. We would like to sell pork to Cuba. But when you look at the grand scale of thing, our efforts have been on TPP. Cuba is 11 million people, a relatively small market for us. We certainly will want to be involved in that market. Their economy is difficult at best. But as some of these things come in place and their economy approves, U.S. pork producers will have access into that market as well. Right now, our prize is TPP.
0: When I think of the competitors for U.S. pork, obviously we look at Europe. There are negotiations still underway, and the next round of negotiations on TTIP is set for early next month. How does that deal affect U.S. pork?
1: It's been very difficult for us to get serious with Europe in the TTIP negotiations, their refusal to accept a lot of issues, phytosanitary issues and things like that. The GMO issue goes right up and down the line. The technologies that we use, uh, putting up barriers before a trade deals even struck has made it very difficult for all of the US agriculture in TTIP. It's been one of the most significant holdbacks in that whole negotiation. We are there. We are laying it on the line. We think tariffs and you know should go to zero there, just like they did and have and will in in all other free trade agreements. Uh, they're not willing to do that. Their tariff rate quota system is very small, um, strictly protectionism. So I don't think they've been sincere in their negotiations uh, with the U.S. with U.S. agriculture. I'll put it that way. Um, There's a lot of hurdles to cross yet before we'll get uh, very supportive there in TTIP.
0: From trade policy, let's look at farm policy. Uh, Many agriculture groups, and primarily from the crop side, are certainly encouraging uh, discussion on the new farm bill and making sure that new policy is approved in a timely manner, especially given with the downturn in farm income. How does the National Pork Producers Council observe uh, development of a new farm bill, and are there elements here that you certainly want to add to or make sure stay a part of uh, any new set of farm laws.
1: Right. Um, And we have been engaged in previous farm bills. Uh, It's typical that the livestock sector has not asked for or been involved heavily in previous farm bills. Our number one ask this coming year is going to be on the foot and mouth disease preparedness. We need to expand our vaccine bank. And also the ability to manufacture vaccine in case there would be a foreign animal disease or foot and mouth disease outbreak in the United States. That's going to be an ask we're going to have in the new Farm Bill. We would always like to see continued strong funding for agricultural research in all levels. So we've been always very supportive of that. Um, feel it's important at U.S. Ag. Um, the last time we had asked to. Um, for risk management to look at some type of catastrophic insurance in case there would be a foreign animal disease outbreak. Uh, That ask is going to be there again. Uh, We have had only one report back since that last farm bill, um, and there was a lot of misunderstanding there, so we are going to go back with that ask again. From our perspective and from our industry, the It's also very important for us to monitor what's going on in the farm bill. Um, We're often more concerned and focused on keeping things out of the farm bill. This should not be part of the farm bill. We will be setting up our farm bill task force here between our September board meeting now, and that will be announced uh, at our November board meeting.
0: There's hundreds of animal diseases. Why foot and mouth disease and the effort to make sure that you're prepared?
1: It would immediately stop all exports from the United States, all pork, all beef, all dairy, poultry would be immediately stopped. And you can't even imagine the consequences, the economic consequences of that happening if we have an outbreak in this country. It's unrealistic to think that, you know, we we could even begin to survive. Obviously, quarantine will be put in place immediately. Uh, We will try to work our way out of that but it will take literally millions of doses of vaccine. The vaccines are effective. They are available. There are over 60 countries in the globe that are currently vaccinating for foot and mouth disease that have the disease and are vaccinating for it. We have not had an outbreak in the United States for, um, I think, 1929, I think is what I had heard the other day, was the last one almost 87 years ago, and we want to keep it that way. But there's no excuse for not being prepared in case we would have an outbreak of foot and mouth disease in this country. And we are woefully ill-prepared, both at Plum Island, where the antigens are kept, and then to take those antigens and manufacture mass doses of vaccine, we need better contractual facilities there to, to get the millions of doses we would need if we had an outbreak.
0: From the courtroom, a group of judges agreed that the Environmental Protection Agency should not have released personal data on confined animal feeding operations in the country. Where do we go from here?
1: Well, the appeals court sent it back to the district court and basically told them the stay needed to stay in place, that EPA did not have the legal authority to release that information, and we're certainly hoping that court will keep that stay in place and EPA will have to live with that. They may very well have the right to gather the information they need for environmental reasons, and that's fine, but to release that information to the general public uh, and certainly to these activist groups, was not right Um, it, it, it just simply wasn't right there was a lot of private and personal information gps coordinates cell phone numbers that went right up and down the line of farm operations and to release that in a FOIA request by an activist group we knew it was wrong from the beginning and that's what the court finally determined
0: but some would suggest that the information is out there the damage is already done
1: and that's a very much of a concern of us. Um, you know, we asked for that, dam- that information to be returned from the groups, and it was an impossible uh, ask. And once the cat is out of the box way, um, it's pretty hard to get it back. We just wanted to stop it. Uh, there were over 100,000 farms released, I think, in 30-some states, uh, the information from. And so far, so good on that. But uh, I think it's a very valuable lesson for uh, EPA and the agencies to know what You know, what they need to do with data. Collecting data is one thing, and then how it is used and not distributed to the general public, that's what our concern was.
0: John, there is a countdown to the end of this administration, and one item that the NPPC had been watching was the new USDA rules with regard to grain inspection packers and stockyards. What's the update?
1: Yeah, that's very high on our list. We have not seen the rule yet. This past week, Secretary Vilsack, I believe, addressed the Farmers' Union and said the rule would be coming before the end of the year. We will be monitoring that closely. Certainly, if it is issued as a final rule, we would certainly want to have a comment period on that. Uh, If it has not been changed since the first revision, which was back in 2010, six years ago, it could have serious impact to the pork industry. But uh, we're optimistic. You know, We'll just see. We have not seen it yet. Uh, we will watch that very carefully.
0: Uh, John Member, we want to thank you for spending time with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, sir, and you have an open forum.
1: Yeah, I'd just uh, like to reiterate that for pork producers, the next 60 days is critically important, actually, from now until the end of the year. This trade deal is very important. We, we are optimistic that it will be brought up in a lame duck session. We think the votes are there. Obviously, we will have some work, especially on the House side, to do. But that's going to be our number one priority as 2016 closes out. And we'll try to get a good trade deal. And that would shed a whole new light uh, on 2017 and the outlook for pork producers.
0: Our thanks to John Weber, president of the National Pork Producers Council. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.